Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, August 8th. In today's news, ICE rounds up 680 undocumented immigrants in Mississippi. House Democrats go to court to try compelling the former White House counsel's testimony. And Puerto Rico gets its third governor in six days. She may be a short timer. But first, the big idea. The mother of the El Paso shooting suspect called the police weeks before he allegedly opened fire because she was concerned that her son owned an AK-type firearm. The mother's attorneys say she contacted police because she was worried about her son owning the weapon, given his age, maturity level, and lack of experience handling such a firearm. During the call, her attorneys say she was transferred to a public safety officer who told her that based on her description of the situation, her son, as a 21-year-old adult, was legally allowed to purchase such a weapon. The mother didn't provide her name or her son's name, and police didn't seek any additional information from her before the call concluded. In the wake of the weekend's massacre, the state of Texas is poised to loosen its already lax gun laws. Ten new statutes going on the book September 1st are aimed at codifying the right to carry guns in the Lone Star State. One, for example, prevents homeowners and landlords from forbidding people they rent to from stockpiling firearms on their property. Another says that gun owners are allowed to keep their weapons in locked vehicles when they're in school parking lots. Another says that parents in foster homes can have guns. Another says people can carry arms inside places of worship. Yesterday, the big story was that Trump went to El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. Now, a traditional role for presidents has been to offer comfort and solace to all Americans at times of national tragedy. But yesterday provided a fresh testament to Trump's limitations in striking notes of unity and empathy. In his only public remarks of the day, Trump lashed out at Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio and Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley, both Democrats, over their characterization of his visit with hospital patients in Dayton. And we learned overnight that none of the eight patients who are still being treated at University Medical Center in El Paso agreed to meet with Trump when he visited the hospital, despite the White House's request that they let the president drop by. A spokesman for the hospital confirms this to us and says that the two victims who did meet with Trump had already been discharged from the hospital, but agreed to return with family members so that they could meet the president. The people who refused to meet with the president have welcomed other visitors, including Beto O'Rourke and his successor in Congress, Veronica Escobar. Inside sources at the White House tell us that the NRA's chief executive, Wayne LaPierre, spoke on the phone with Trump on Tuesday shortly after the president tweeted out support for a background check bill. The embattled NRA leader told Trump that going forward with background checks wouldn't be popular among the president's supporters and could hurt his reelection hopes. The NRA opposes legislation sponsored by Republican Senator Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania and Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia. Advisors to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell say he will not bring up any gun legislation to the floor unless it has widespread Republican support. Current and past White House officials say Trump has waffled between wanting to do more and being concerned that doing more would prompt a revolt from his core political supporters. Ultimately, the president seems to be more focused on re-election than anything else. Well, D.C. dithers, corporate America is trying to cope with the new reality of routine mass shootings on American soil. 
Several publicly traded companies have quietly added a new risk factor to their corporate disclosures and annual reports, active shooters. Companies like Dave & Buster's, Del Taco Restaurants, and the Cheesecake Factory have added in references to the chance that there could be active shooter scenarios in their properties. They put this in their reports to warn investors. The Wall Street Journal found a ton of examples in SEC filings. Companies which need to regularly revise these risk factors have long warned of other catastrophic events like hurricanes and terrorist attacks. Mass shootings is pretty new. Calling out the specific risk of an active shooter event reflects the internal conversations that are taking place in C-suites about how they need to plan for the risks. And Walmart, where the shooting happened in El Paso, is facing mounting scrutiny for its role as the nation's largest retailer of firearms and ammunition. In Arkansas, the company's headquarters, 40 white-collar Walmart employees walked off the job yesterday afternoon to protest the deadly shootings at two company stores in the last couple days. The other was on Monday in a Walmart in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when two customers got into an argument and an innocent bystander was shot in the ensuing skirmish. Workers at Walmart's e-commerce divisions in Portland, Oregon, and Brooklyn, New York, also are taking action to push their employer to stop selling guns and to discontinue donations to politicians who receive funding from the NRA. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, ICE agents raided agriculture processing plants across Mississippi yesterday, arresting at least 680 people in the largest single-state immigration enforcement action in modern U.S. history. The acting director of ICE says the Mississippi operation, which involved mobilizing 650 federal agents from across the country, was the result of a year-long investigation and not an effort to distract from current events. Mississippi is the nation's fifth-largest chicken-producing state, and the plant's tough processing jobs are mainly filled by Latino immigrants, many undocumented, who are eager to take whatever work they can get. Chicken plants dominate the economies of the small towns east of Jackson. Those arrested during the raid were taken to a military hangar to be processed for immigration violations. Many will be swiftly deported. About 70 friends, family, and neighbors came to try to say goodbye as buses took the immigrants away. A tearful 13-year-old boy whose parents are from Guatemala waved bye to his mom who worked in the food processing plant, as she was taken away from him. He stood beside his father. It's just the two of them now. But believe it or not, that 13-year-old was one of the lucky ones. Many children didn't have a loved one or a family friend to go home to yesterday. Some walked home from school, but they were locked out of their houses because both of their parents had been rounded up in the raids. Volunteers set up a makeshift shelter for the children at a local gymnasium last night. There was food for the kids, but most were so devastated and crying for their parents that they couldn't eat. Number two, House Democrats asked a federal judge to force the testimony of ex-White House counsel Don McGahn, who many consider their most important star witness in any potential impeachment proceeding against the president. The complaint filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia escalates the months-long feud between congressional Democrats and Trump. This is the first lawsuit Democrats have filed to force a witness to testify since they regained control of the House at the start of the year and began launching investigations into the president's conduct and finances. McGahn's lawyer, Bill Burke, tells us that McGahn will abide by the president's instructions to stonewall Congress 
until a judge issues a contrary decision. Burke says McGann, who's now back at Jones Day, his old law firm where he's a partner, has an ethical obligation to protect the confidences of his client, in this case, the president. Number three, Puerto Rico's got a new governor. After the resignation of Ricardo Rossello last Friday, his hand-picked successor, Pedro Pierluisi, took over. But he was removed when the territory's Supreme Court declared that his ascension was unconstitutional and illegitimate. He needed to be confirmed by the island's legislature and was not. That ruling then cleared the way for the Justice Secretary, Wanda Vasquez-Garced, to take the job. Vasquez-Garced faces widespread mistrust from Puerto Rico because she's a member of Rossello's party, and she opted not to prosecute political allies for alleged wrongdoing. She previously said she didn't want to take the job because it would only sow more division in the Commonwealth. But she was sworn in last night. Vasquez-Garced's ascent to the Fortaleza is expected to provoke more mass protests from Puerto Ricans, many of who consider her to be an extension of the former tainted administration. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, August 8th. Thanks so much for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.